from Red Bank Missionary Baptist Church and Touchpoint Ministries. This is the Gary Talks About God podcast. I guess I should publicly thank the ba- uh, North Carolina Baptist for my nice Yeti tumbler. Thank you, any North Carolina Baptist watching. Um, anyway, they got a new logo, and, and they were happy about it. And so it, it got me a Yeti tumbler. So, hey, I'm happy about the new logo, too. Anyway, all right. If you have your Bibles on that random thought, if you will turn to chapter, excuse me, John chapter 8, verse 12. John 8, verse 12. And as you are turning there, let me ask you a question. Have you been following the hot button legislative topic in Congress this week? All right. The Sunshine Protection Act. Now, I did that on purpose because I wanted to see the looks on your face and then just hear the collective sigh when I went in a direction you didn't expect me to go, right? But but that that's that's been a topic of conversation again this week. Why? Because today ends daylight savings time. We go back to standard time, and and that bill is about putting us on daylight savings time year round. Now, I love the name, right? <laughs> Because the name to me kind of uh, tells you a little bit about the way Congress thinks of themselves, right? The Sunshine Protection Act, because in the past however many thousands of years, sunshine has not been protected, and, and they have come, and here we are, we're going to protect sunshine. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Um, but it, it is, it's, it's, it's a bill to make daylight savings time permanent, and they've had hearings on it, right? They, they've, they've, they've had hearings. They, they've reached out and, and they've taken input from the airlines. I, I, I don't know why. Uh, I, I really don't. The National Association of Convenience Stores, in case you are wondering, there is a such association. They oppose this legislation because, quote, kids should not be going to school in the dark. If any of you can make that connection for me, why the National Association of Convenience Stores are concerned about when the kids go to school, please tell me after church because I, I don't know what. I, 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 I don't know. <laughs> Do they have a lot of kids working for them? Do a lot of kids come by in the morning and the evening? I, 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 I don't know. I, I, I really don't know. But I also like this one quote from someone who argued that daylight savings time, quote, it's like living in the wrong time zone for almost eight months. Again, I, 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 I don't know. Um, <laughs> I, I just find it amusing that, that um, we can put this much effort into daylight savings time, <laughs> to be honest with you. I, I find it really funny. I, I find it interesting that they want to protect sunshine, but something is going to happen every day when... Sunshine disappears, <laughs> and and night comes. Right, it will happen. No matter what we try to do to get rid of the darkness, darkness always comes back. Right? We we have gone to great extents as a society to avoid darkness. Right, from all the lights that that we have to the cities lit up nonstop to night lights to everything. We try to get rid of darkness, but it always seems to return. 
right? Darkness is, will always be there. Now, we joke about daylight savings time. We, we laugh about it. We kind of find it humorous. But in the desire to eliminate darkness and live in the light, there is a truth that is universally understood by everybody who has ever lived. Darkness occurs. It's easier to live in the light. And it is that natural truth that Jesus is going to use to once again teach us a spiritual truth. So John chapter 8, beginning in verse 12, reading down to verse 30. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisee said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going. But you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, Therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, You know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. So he said to them again, I am going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, Will he kill himself since he says, Where I am going, you cannot come? He said to them, You are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am, I am he, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, Who are you? Jesus said to them, Just what I have been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say, I have much to say about you and much to judge. But he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from him. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and that I do nothing on my own authority but speak just as the Father taught me. And He who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to Him. As He was saying these things, many believed in Him. So this morning... Focusing on verse 12, where Jesus says, I am the light of the world, I want you to just notice three truths about that statement. What does the light do? Number one, the light of the world brings revelation. The light of the world brings revelation. When we come to John verse 12, look, just, just to set the stage, look back up at verse, uh, the end of John chapter Seven. You look at verse 52, it says, They replied, Are you from Galilee too? 
Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. So this conversation in John 7, the Pharisees are arguing with Nicodemus. They're actually making fun of Nicodemus because Nicodemus stood up and and kind of defended Jesus. So they make fun of him. So then in verse 12, Jesus speaking then to the Pharisees says to them, I am the light of the world. Now, that's a pretty bold statement, right? I I mean, it, it, it is. Let's just think about it for just a moment. People, I know you think that you are the light of the world, and, and I know that you think that, that you are just so special, but we're not, right? We are not physical light. Now, again, I, I want you to see kind of the absurdity here, okay? If you turn off all the lights in the room, you're going to be in the dark. If I'm in the room with you, I'm not going to see you because you are not emitting light. Make sense? But Jesus looks at the people, at the Pharisees, and says to them, I am the light of the world. It's a pretty amazing statement. And there is so much more to it than we may understand. Verse 20 tells us that he makes this statement that this part of the dialogue takes place in the treasury, which is exactly what you think the treasury would be. The treasury would be where people would give offerings. Now, let's just refresh ourselves really quick on the outline and the shape of the temple. Basically, think of the temple as a large rectangle that had smaller concentric rectangles inside of it. And based on your nationality and your gender, you could only go so far. You had the court of the Gentiles, the court of women, the court of of men, then the priest, and then the very center of the temple was the Holy of Holy where only the high priest could go. So you were limited about how far into the temple you could go based, again, on gender or ethnicity. So the treasury then, where do you think they're going to put the treasury? Is it going to be in the Holy of Holies? No, (laughs) it's going to be out here in the courtyard of the women where all the Jews, men or women, could come in and give the offering. Let's not make giving an offering to the temple difficult. Let's put it where everybody can give to the offering. Also in the courtyard were four lampstands. And I don't mean little small lampstands. I mean huge lampstands that would require a ladder to reach to the top. And on the top of those lampstands were four bowls filled with oil, right? You, know, you want to know what they use for wicks for those? This is really odd. They would use the used priest garments. So they would put those up and the used priest garments would be the wicks. All right, so in the outer courtyard, four lampstands, four bowls, 16 bowls, right? What are we celebrating? Why are the Jews celebrating? They're celebrating the feast of of tabernacles, God's provision for them and protection for them in the wilderness. And one of the ways they remembered this is they had a light ceremony where they would go at the first day at dusk and and festive music would play and and there was singing. And and listen to this. this. This right here just destroys all types of Baptist theology right here. Men of piety would dance. Okay, there's a reason you never seen me dance. 
right? But it, I mean, festive, right? This 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 whole festival is 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 festive and celebratory in nature, and so they have this lighting ceremony at the first day of the feast. Okay, and all of a sudden, these these sixteen bowls just radiate light, and it is said that because of the lamps, the height of the lamps, because they, they extended up above the walls, and because of the reflective nature of the limestone on the temple, that the light was so bright that every courtyard in Jerusalem was illuminated. One Jewish oral history says that it was one of the most amazing wonders a person could ever see in their lifetime. And so here they are, they've lit the lamps, they're celebrating God's provision, specifically with the lighting ceremony that what? That God, Exodus 20, 21, where it says, And Yahweh went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night a pillar of fire that they may travel by day and by night. Now, I've never been in a desert Never been in a desert at night, but I'm imagining it's pretty dark. It's dangerous. And you need light to be protected. So God provides them the light that they need to reveal to them the way that they should go. But there's one very important truth about that light. It is not manufactured light. God is the light, right? Again, it says God went before them by night in a pillar of fire. The light that they are seeing is God himself leading them and revealing the way that they should go. And as you study through Scripture, what you find out over and over and over and over is God is associated with light. You go all the way back to Genesis. What is God's first spoken words? Let there be light. You read there in Exodus. He is the pillar of fire at night. You read through the Psalms and you see, Yahweh is my light and salvation. Whom shall I fear? God's word is what? A lamp to my feet and a what? Light unto my path. Listen to this from Zechariah. This one's good. From the Messianic age looking forward. Zechariah 14, 5 through 7. And you shall flee to the valley of my mountains, for the valley of the mountains shall reach to Azal. And you shall flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. Then Yahweh my God will come, and all the holy ones with him. On that day there shall be no light, cold, or frost. And there shall be a unique day which is known to Yahweh, neither day nor night, but at evening time they shall be light. So that there, there's always light. The day that He comes for the, to, to lead us into heaven, to all eternity, it is one that is marked by light. Quick side note, the next passage in Zechariah says, that day living water shall flow out of Jerusalem. We covered that last week. So here it is. The last day of the festival. All right, picture it, right? The lampstands, the light, 
They let them fade. They let the light fade. So the light is slowly starting to fade. What's happening? What is coming? What is overcoming the light at that moment? Well, at least looks like it. The darkness starts to creep back into the city. The courtyards are no longer illuminated. And beneath the lampstands in the treasury, Jesus looks out at them and says, I'm the light. I'm the light of the world. It's an amazing statement. But it's also more amazing, maybe not because what our ears hear today, but what they would have heard. See, they would have heard those first two words. They would have heard Jesus say, I am. They would have heard, and we hear that today when people in the Greek, you hear people talk about the, the ego of me of Jesus, of what he's saying. But what they heard was Yahweh. Because when you go back to Exodus, and you go back to the burning bush, and you go back to Moses looking at the burning bush and saying, yeah, I hear you want me to go into Egypt, and I hear you want me to do all these things. They're going to ask me who sent me. What do I say? And from the bush that is not burning, tell them I am sends you. Jesus looks, and who's he talking to? Who's he talking to? He's not talking to the crowd. He's talking to the Pharisees who are what? The religious leaders of the day. And he says to them, I am the light of the world. You know that light at creation? That was me. You, you know that light that, that led you through, that led your ancestors through the desert at night that the lampstands are remembering? That, 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 was, that was me. You know, the light that is your salvation in the Psalms, that's me. You know, the light in Zechariah that will never end, that's, that's me. And I am here today to reveal to you the Father who sent me and the mission for which He sent me. I'm here to reveal to you the path that leads you to the salvation that the Psalm takes about. So come to me. Come to me. Because he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. Now there's another astounding claim in that. Right? Think again about the temple. Slowly restriction of movement till you get to the Holy of Holies. And in the Holy of Holies, what resided in the Holy of Holies? God's presence, right? We talk about the Shekinah glory of God shining down on the temple. We're talking about the Shekinah glory of God that filled the tabernacle in the wilderness so that they could see His glory, right? This from 2 Chronicles 7, 1-3 through at the dedication of the temple. As soon as Solomon finished his prayer, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and sacrifices, and the glory of Yahweh filled the temple. And the priest could not enter the house of Yahweh because the glory of Yahweh filled Yahweh's house. When all the people of Israel saw the fire came down, the glory of Yahweh on the temple, they bowed down with their faces to the ground for the payment and worshiped and gave thanks to Yahweh, saying, For He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. They couldn't enter the light. When God's light shone down on the temple, they could not enter the light. The light would kill them. The glory of God would consume them. Last day of the festival, the lights are going down. 
The Holy of Holies is in the background. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And if you come to me and if you follow me, you will not die. As in times of old, when you tried to enter God's glory, where you would die, he says, if you come and you follow me, then you will have the light of life. He says, I have come to give you light, not that brings death, but light that brings life. And when you come and follow me, the immediate consequence is, I give you that life. I give it to you. And Jesus is saying, here I am. I am the light, not just of the Jewish people, but I am the light of of the world for everyone. Again, imagine the religious leaders hearing that He's the light to the Greeks or the Egyptians or the Assyrians or the Babylonians. But He is. Just as the day He is the light to the Americans, He is the light to the French, He is the light to the Chinese, He is the light to whatever country you want to put after that. Because He is the light of Isaiah 49.6 that says, I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach the end of the earth. And it does. So Jesus offers salvation and it radiates out to every corner of the world. Unfortunately, some will not embrace the light because the light of the world brings rejection. Right? Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and they take center stage from here on out for the next two or three chapters. The crowd is kind of faded into the background. And it's important to know as we work through the next few chapters, he's, he's talking to the religious leaders, the adversaries who step up to, to challenge him. And when they do, look at what they say, right? Verse 13, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. They just, it, they're making a judicial argument, Right? You could insert lawyer joke here, right? Lawyers, well, that's one way you could interpret it, right? We, we know all the lawyer jokes. Because lawyers focus in on the technicality. That's what the Pharisees right here do. They, they want to focus in on the technicality. They don't want to deal with the truth of who Jesus is. Let's deal with the technicality. You've had conversations with people today. They don't want to deal with the truth of who Jesus is. Let's focus in on a technicality. Let me re- recite something that I heard. Oh, let me talk about the contradictions in Scripture and this and that. Let me try to find a technicality. By the way, there aren't any. Let me do anything I can other than to deal with who Jesus is. Because if I deal with who Jesus is, I've got to come and I've got to understand some truths about authority and about my sinfulness that I would rather not do. So the Pharisees here say, I don't want to deal with who Jesus is. I want to deal with the technicality of the law. The law says you have to have two witnesses. You don't have two witnesses, so therefore, it's, it's not so much that your claim is false, it just, it has no legal reasoning for us to listen to it. So we reject your testimony, we reject your claim of being the light of the world, we just reject you. However, the amazing thing is they are absolutely wrong. <laughs> They are absolutely wrong. Yes, the strict interpretation of the law, they needed two witnesses, especially for capital offenses. 
However, up to this point, Jesus' testimony has already been validated by multiple witnesses. John the Baptist was a witness. Scripture has been a witness. The Father at one time has already been a witness. His signs have been a witness. There are others out there that are bearing witness to who Jesus already is. But Jesus decides, all right, once again, because Jesus continues to offer the invitation. He decides to engage with the Pharisees, and he says, all right, look, I'll call the Father then as my witness. I'll use the Father, and he's doing this because if they will believe the Father sent him, that the Father has acted, then they will believe and accept his message. And Jesus does this in just really a masterful way. Because he starts talking in verse 14 about bearing witness and his testimony being true. And he is saying, look, I've come from the Father. You are from earth. So your standard of judgment then is from an earthly perspective. And as such, your judgment is corrupted by sin. In fact, it is so corrupted, you cannot rightly interpret the law that God gave you, to which you have twisted it to such a great extent that he says, look, he, he talks about their law, which is really interesting. Jesus doesn't say my law. He says your law. He says, look, you've twisted it to where it's no longer mine. It, it's yours. You've heaped all this other stuff on it. You have corrupted it, and it is as corrupt as you. And because you have so corrupted the law, the Father who you claim you want to know, you, you can't even recognize. Because if you were to recognize the Father, then you would recognize me. And by failing to recognize me, you are failing to recognize the Father. But he continues, right? And he says, look, even if I were to judge, verse 16, yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. Now, in John chapter 9, we're, verse 39, we're going to have to deal with where Jesus says, for judgment I came into the world. Right? This is one of those things. Talking about the, the technicalities. Well, he says he doesn't judge, but then he says he judges. Well, contradiction. No, that's not what he's saying. Because the whole conversation right here is whether you are judging from a heavenly perspective or from an earthly perspective. And Jesus is saying, look, the chasm between where I come from and where I judge heaven and where you come from earth and the way you judge is so great that the same word can't be used. However, let's assume for a minute that, that I do judge. If I were to participate in the type of judgment you offer, my judgment, he says, would be true because I have a second witness. He says in verse 16, I alone, I do not alone judge, but I am the Father who sent me. When I make judgment, the Father is there judging with me, which if you want to argue on the technicality of your law, fulfills the technicality on which you're basing your rejection of me. Right? He's getting this ready. We haven't heard it yet, but we'll hear it in John chapter 10 where he says, I and the Father am one. John's kind of planting that seed. So Jesus says, look, the Father is more witness to me. I have the second witness that you won't. And it is really only the Father 
who can bear that witness because there is no one, no human being that can testify to the divine relationship that Jesus has with the Father. So he's using their own law and their own technicality really to tie them up into knots to get them to go, well, who is your father? To which Jesus says, you don't know him. You have perverted and twisted his rules and his law to such a great extent, you don't know him. And because you don't know him, your objection and your rejection of Jesus then is really not because of who Jesus says he is, but your objection is really because you don't know the father. Isn't that amazing? These people who want to know God so bad, who claim to know the Father so well, are rejecting the Father and His divine plan. They don't want to have anything to do with Jesus. And Jesus is sitting there saying, Look, the Father sent me. The Father bears witness to this fact. And you're standing in opposition to God's plan of sending light into the world, not to condemn the world, but through me, the world might be saved. But they want to reject it. They, they want to reject the light. We've already read in John 3.19 that the light has come into the world, right? And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. We need to understand that just the very appearance of Jesus in the world forces a decision to be made. You have to decide, are you going to reject the light or are you going to embrace the light? Are you going to stay in the darkness and in the evil of your sins? Or are you going to hear the voice of Jesus saying, I'm the light of the world, come and follow me? Right? Jesus doesn't have to stand there and, and make judgments. His very presence on this earth becomes the judgment. And some people, sadly, would rather die in their sins. Right? And that is the default position of every person. Our default position is darkness, not light. Our default position is sinfulness, not righteousness. And unless Jesus or God, one and the same, right, interacts and does something, unless there's a but God moment, we don't need Jesus to come into the world to judge and condemn us. We stand condemned. What we need, what the Pharisees need, is a Savior who will redeem us. And that's what the light does. The light of the world brings redemption. They still don't understand what Jesus is saying. They're still trying to figure it out. They're still hung up on his origins, where he came from, where he's going. And so he turns it back to them one more time and says, look, I'm going away. You're going to try to find me. Can't find me. He's already said that once and earlier. It was like, oh, he must be going to the Greeks because we're not going to the Greeks. We're not going to the Gentiles, to those heathens. That wasn't right. So this time they go with a very morbid, and condemnatory idea. Well, he must be going to kill himself 
Because if he's going to kill himself, and this is their logic, in Jewish theology, and you, you saw this with the Catholic Church as well, in Jewish theology, if a person killed themselves, then what they have done is they have died in their sin. And that they are going to spend eternity, again according to Jewish thought, in the lowest depths of hell. Which the Pharisees, based on their religiosity and how much they know, could never end up down there because they know God. So they're never going to be down there. That's the only place. Jesus has either got to go to the Gentiles or he's got to kill himself and go to hell where they won't be able to follow. So Jesus says to them, right? He says to them, I'm going away. You'll seek me and you will die in your sins. They eject. They don't like that. But that's the truth. You're going to stay in the darkness of your sins. And then he makes this statement. He says, so when you have lifted up the Son of Man, you will know that I am. Again, he is pointing them to what he is going to do. He's pointing to them that, look, I, I, I'm not committing suicide. What, what I'm doing is I am being the sacrifice for your sins. Verse 24. I am from above. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins. And here's the but God. But this time it's a for unless you believe that I am. And I, I dislike the fact that, that most modern translations put the he after it because it loses the punch. <laughs> because Jesus looks at him and says, unless you believe that I am. I am what? I am. Unless you believe Yahweh, you're going to die in your sins. And when Jesus does that, he turns it from one sin, the specific sin of suicide that they were talking about, to sins, which is our default position again. You may not kill yourself, Pharisees, but you are all covered in sins. And unless you believe I am, that is what is going to happen to you. And in this desire of you not to be separated from the Father because of all your, pi your, your piety and strict adherence to the law, that's exactly what's going to end up happening. You're going to be separated from the Father because you die in your sins. I'm going to return to the Father, and you know why you can't go with me? Because you died in your sins. I'm going back to the place that you want to. You can't follow me. Unless, unless something happens to pull you out of this hopeless and helpless situation. And that's the for unless that Jesus says. For unless you believe I am, you will die in your sins. If you were to ask any person on the street, who has ever lived, do you want to go to heaven when you die? People will say yes. Right? We, we, we talked the other night on our Wednesday night Bible study about general revelation, about 
truths that humans know across time and borders and boundaries that we have no explanation for unless it was placed in our hearts. And the idea of heaven is one of them. Everybody wants to go to heaven. People will say yes, whether they are a Christian or not a believer or or whatever, because the idea of heaven appeals to everyone. No sin, no death, no disease, no pain, a place of eternal bliss. Everyone hopes that there is a heaven. But every one of us has the same sin problem. And the sin problem is going to keep us out of heaven. Ever since the Garden of Eden and our sin, we have attempted through our own ways, and the Pharisees are no different. We were no different before we were believers, trying to get into heaven through our own efforts. I'll work hard enough, I'll give hard enough, I'll pray hard enough, I'll attend church enough, I'll I'll do all these good things, I'll look better than my neighbor, I will do everything that I can in my own effort to solve my sin problem. Well, how did that work for you? I'll speak for all of you. It didn't work for me at all. Because I can't solve my sin problem. Neither can you. Neither can the world. It is a hopeless, helpless situation unless God steps in and mends it. And He does that. And when Jesus says in verse 28, the divine mission that the Father has sent me is to be lifted up on the cross to be glorified, when that happens... When you believe I am, you will be saved. Again, Jesus is saying, look, I'm going to do it for you. And I have the authority to do it because I am. There's no sin in me because I am. I know the way because I am. And because of my great love for you, I have the power to pull you out of your hopeless and helpless situation. The power to be your Redeemer. Just as it was written in Isaiah 43.25, I, I am He who blots out your transgressions. He's the one. I, I am He who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will remember your sins no more. Jesus is the I am of Isaiah 43.25. So that when you believe in Him, you will not die in your sins. You will not be separated from the Father. But instead, you will come and you will have the light of life And then you will be able to go with me where I am going. Because I will be in heaven for all eternity, providing the light under which you will live throughout all eternity. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The Gary Talks About God podcast is a production of Touchpoint Ministries, and Red Bank Missionary Baptist Church in Germantown, North Carolina. Want to learn more? Visit our website at www. 
www.redbankmbc.com. If you enjoyed this content, please like and subscribe. Thank you for joining us.